viewers, Bibliophile, how are you doing? I hope all is doing great with you. I am recording this just before going on a long weekend to Lisbon and I'm super excited. So there might be soon posts on Southern Bibliospheres. And I have to be honest and I absolutely can't wait to be in a even ever so slightly warmer place. Talking about warmer countries. Today's guest comes from sunny California, uh, but she has been very much adopted in Scotland and apparently she absolutely thrives here. She is the absolutely wonderful Cynthia Rogerson. Cynthia is a prize-winning author and she's also written six other novels, one of which is under the name of Addison Jones. Um, we spoke to her last year actually about her latest book, Hua, Things I Never Told My Mother, and that is an absolutely wonderful book. I really think it was a page turner and it was very difficult to put down. I find it wonderful because the book is about, and how we'll hear from her, as real-time depiction of her nursing her dying mother and at the same time going back to episodes in her life and having back all these memories and again things that she wouldn't have told her mother but maybe that her mother knew about to an extent. So today's episode is all about the relationship between mothers and daughters, about identity being an expat, about adventures and, and going from being the rebel adolescent child and going on adventures on being a, a parent and and a writer. How important it is to have a group that makes you work hard, how important it is to find a place in the world that makes you want to be there. Cynthia's book is hilarious and also extremely emotional. I love how it swings between one zone to the other, uh, but her life is just absolutely crazy and is just so entertaining because she's done so many things. And uh, it was just amazing to speak to her. So everyone, please welcome Cynthia Rogerson. Hello, Cynthia. Very welcome to Northern Bibliosphere. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. That's lovely to have you here. So, uh, you're you've been out with the, your book Wah for what was it out? Was it uh, uh, June, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's it been so far? How's it been the promotion tour? Um, yes, it's been a whirlwind international tour. Not, <laughs> but I had a really nice book launch at Dingwall Library and an event in Waterstones, not Waterstones, um, Blackwells in Edinburgh. And I'm going off to Wigtown Book Festival next week to do an event. It's been fun. Nice. Uh, I remember that you were doing something where in Dingwell, the um, oh, yeah. picaresque books uh, came together and the Sandstone Press, they came together as well to do this One City, One Book. Yeah, that's something new. One Town, One Book. Um which, uh, how did it work a bit, if you can, if I can just uh, quickly ask you about that? Well, quickly, um, <clears throat> the library and the local bookshop decided to promote one book for that period. I think it was a week or maybe a month. And so my books were, wa was everywhere. And book groups were reading it and people were encouraged to buy it. Um, so I think it's a new thing. I kind of like the idea because there's so many good writers out there that we don't hear about unless our attention is drawn to them. Yeah, 
I was flattered to be involved in that. That's great. No, it sounds like a really interesting way to involve people, especially if it's a local author as well. I think you can relate a lot more. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so Wa, uh, it's um, a memoir that you wrote, uh, which revolves around the death of your mother. But all in all, you read it and there's so much... I think that there's so much wet and fun at the same time during the book. It's quite, um, it's a, I think it's fantastically uh, put together in terms of uh, tackling quite a hard subject as well. Um, and, but also bringing uh, sorts of shades of light within it. So, um, yeah, can you tell me a bit more about how you decided to write this book? Well, it was just as the book says. I was at my mother's deathbed and I had lots of time on my hands because my mom slept most of the time. And I wrote that short story that opens the book, the one about um, Foam Man, <laughs> about meeting Mr. Foam Man. Because I was in the house remembering this is where I grew up and it reminded me like this place in the hall was exactly where I was standing when my dad threw his white wine at me and said, get out. <laughs> I'm laughing because it was only briefly dramatic. After that, it was kind of funny. And I marched out of the house in typical adolescent. <clears throat> um, and I sent that story to my niece who is about 22 and my sister thinking, well, this is a different angle. They, I mean, we'll see what they think. And they really liked it, which gave me the confidence to, to try more of those things. So the book was written in real time during the year or so that my mother died. I was collecting memories and it wasn't hard because I've done many things I'm not proud of, many things I didn't tell my mother. And just in retrospect, it seemed kind of funny. Most things aren't funny at the time. Yeah, no, I'm wondering how was it to revisit those memories for you? Um, and maybe like, how did it maybe make you sort of process being, a, being next to your mother while she was dying at the same time? Well, that's a great question, because it's interesting. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves <clears throat> are often quite flattering versions of real events. So in my, in my memoir, in the first two drafts of my memoir, it's quite different. I actually hadn't thought properly about my past. Little times like myself buying the cashmere cardigan for my mother's birthday. I'd been feeling quite smug about that for years, thinking how generous I was. But in writing it and having to think about it, I realized I only bought that cashmere because I knew it would be mine one day. That's the truth. I'm not that big a person, not that generous a person. <clears throat> so it was good. It was quite cathartic, if a little embarrassing, to tell the truth about these things. Yeah, and with my mother dying down the hall all the while I was doing this, it did, it did feel like I was trying to atone for my failure to be close to her when she was younger and could have appreciated it. I still feel terribly guilty that I wasn't closer to her, but I hope I paint her in a good light in this book. She certainly was a great person. Absolutely. I think that your mother comes through with such a genuine and such a 
energetic as well person all throughout she's just like such a wonderful a wonderful character which we meet as a character of course uh, it was a real life person but it's a I think it's a wonderful character and you painted her in such a um, tender but also very like optimistic light as well like in a in a very such a what those humans which there should be more of <laughs> on, on earth I think I agree I agree, and I'm so glad that you you appreciated her too. I'd like the whole world to know my mom. <laughs> she would be she would be embarrassed because she doesn't like being the center of attention, but I think she'd also like it. She'd like that people thought she was nice. Absolutely, uh, no, she sounds like an amazing person, and I'm wondering if uh, maybe this book has changed somehow your own relationship to your mother, like revisiting those memories as well, but also thinking at how, what maybe you thought of her while growing up and then seeing things in a different light as an adult after having lived your own life and having had your own experiences. Absolutely. My perspective on her, well, it's still changing actually, but it was very, I guess like a lot of daughters who are loved unconditionally by their moms, I did take her for granted and didn't really get to know her very well. And I certainly didn't respect her enough, but now I'm the age I am and I have children doing what I did. One of my daughters in particular, who's living 6,000 miles away and not very good at communicating and worrying me terribly. Sometimes I'm getting more insight into how my mother used must've felt. And um, I just have even more respect for her and more, I guess, forgiveness for any of my children who treat me like, like that, who treat me and, um, with a little bit of neglect or, or cavalierly. It doesn't matter. I just tell myself, just like my mom would have done. I think, I think I'm trying to take a car uh, trying to emulate her in that respect no nudge to your sons and uh, to your children just now <laughs> just to be yes. <laughs> I know. a bit more mindful yes. wink wink <laughs> <laughs> um but no i think that uh in the book you tell about your life as a teenager and as a, as a kid as a teenager also in your 20s but you had such a adventurous life uh i think it's a fantastic way like thinking back then it was also much more difficult to travel than it is like today well before covid at least uh so uh how uh yeah i'm thinking how do you see maybe uh, your own children doing it just now and uh, uh, taking back from what you've done back then how how do you try and sort of do you kind of like give them tips and kind of like understand them better or um, yeah how does that work for you, do you know, <clears throat> my generation took a lot of risks when we were traveling we we were we did hitchhike and me and my brother did hop freight trains I'm very grateful that none of my children want to be that adventurous although um my sons do physically risky things like mountain biking and, and actually my daughter does a lot of snowboarding, which can be dangerous, but none of them take the silly foolish risks that I took. And I feel very lucky to be alive, tell you the truth. And I'm not, that's another thing that I worried my mother about was that she knew like all the parents knew that we were doing those kinds of things. <clears throat> I still like to travel. 
I don't like to hitchhike, obviously, <laughs> anymore. But when I get lost in a foreign country, I don't actually mind. That's that's my thrill these days is is for a little while temporarily not knowing where I am and having to talk to strangers and I don't know. That's when I feel completely awake and alive. That kind of adventure. But no more getting into the cars of strangers or those kinds of things. I do wonder if maybe, I, I don't know how California would compare to Scotland in terms of safety. Because, uh, uh, I don't know, for me it was like coming from Italy to Scotland, it felt like, oh, hitchhiking is really, really safe here and just feels so much safer. But I don't know how it compares yeah, to California anywhere in Sacramento and San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you know... Um... Britain is much safer than Italy for a young woman on her own, definitely. And and same with France. Don't go hitchhiking in France on your own. But um, California has its fair share of um, unstable people that you should never trust yourself to. I was wondering as well, like, I really like your style is very, uh, it's quite witty and sassy in, at points. Like, it's really, um, there's a sharp... Um, comedy at points as well but also I think it's quite a very honest and earnest look on life there's no no turning around and like trying to say one thing you get quite to the point uh which is really good so I'm wondering how do you manage to sort of again balance maybe something that is quite one would see as tragic as the death of a parent um while keeping Uh, upbeat let's say and like a a sort of like also comedic level at some points but there's humor rather than comedy you know the that tone of voice in the memoir um is is honest because i was i was trying to be honest it was easy to be straightforward because i want it to be i wasn't construction of fiction or making something contrived and i wasn't trying to make myself look good having said that almost everything is kind of funny when you detach from from it for a little bit. And my mother and my father and my siblings did laugh at things quite a lot. We saw the funny side of things and it was easy to see how ridiculous we all looked sometimes or how absurd I acted sometimes and how naive and how gullible. I didn't set out to write a funny book, but the, but the truth is funny. The truth telling the, the bottom line The silly bottom line about things is pretty funny most of the time. Even the funeral, even the, um, there are ridiculous, absurd sides to everything. I miss my mother still. It, it's, it doesn't mean that I didn't feel sad about her dying. It's just, it just came naturally along with that mood I had thinking of my mother, which was not to take yourself too seriously and to try and see the whole picture. Was it something that brought you also some sort of comfort in a way during that period, writing it and maybe having that, like seeing these things as a, uh, okay, there's actually quite a funny part in this? Yes, it was. It was cathartic. So I must have had a therapeutic need for it to kind of um, unburden myself of those things I hadn't told my mom. My mom didn't get to know the me that people who read Wall will know. <clears throat> but I think she sensed it because she was pretty intuitive. Still, I wish I wish I had been able to be a bit closer to her. But you kind of like when you were back then, then you kind of managed to sort of yeah bond in mm-hmm. a way 
Possibly, and sometimes things. The, the important thing is to uh, think that we want to, and we've done our best, even when we were able to, mentally and physically as well. Well, absolutely. And she never ever tried to make me feel guilty, and we we did love each other. Absolutely loved each other. <clears throat> she didn't tell me all her secrets either, in a way. So maybe we were both a bit reserved. And here I go and tell the whole world, so I can't be that reserved. But <laughs> yeah, sometimes there must there might be some if it, even if it's like certain like things that you don't really maybe you know, but you don't say out loud between mother and daughter. Mm-hmm. It's just as long as you know that the other person is fine. <laughs> yes, you kind of like go along, and uh, that's the important thing is that you know that the other person is in a. Good place. You're right, and I think that right. mothers and daughters mostly can sense those that about each other if they're essentially okay, and you don't need all the details. And it was, um, yeah, she was a good person. Yeah, I'm thinking, especially when you were talking about when you, so uh, in the book you tell about you moving and traveling around Europe and the UK for the first times, and when you found a job and stayed here for quite a while. And uh, you talk mm-hmm. about your letters back home. So you had letters which are completely different from uh, the ones that you sent to your yeah. mother and your father and the ones that you sent to your siblings. So can you tell me a bit more about uh, the exchange of letters and the uh, mistakes sometimes if someone swapped the letters? Exactly. Exactly. One time my mom read a book, I read a, read a letter I wrote to my brother maybe my sister, and she really got worried because, of course, I was kind of exaggerating how many drugs I was taking and things like this, and she was really freaked out. I wonder sometimes if writing letters all those years is what led me to writing because you're editing your your experiences, you're shaping them, and then you're, you're doing it with one particular audience in mind, which is basically what good writing is. So I had a, a version of events for my parents, kind of the wholesome version and the kind of wilder version for my brother and sister and then another version for some friends. Phone Phoning was very, very expensive in those days and we never phoned. We wrote letters at least once a week and I have hundreds of them, thousands of them still. That's amazing. I think it's something that our generation is so missing out from and we should like find a way to get back to it because I mean, email maybe, but it's just like the fact of, yeah, um, having a mindful writing experience, which can be maybe a bit fiction, maybe a bit, (laughs) there's a level of uh, maybe interpretation that Uh is sort of fiction when you want to give a certain tint to your experience, isn't it? It is, but I think I don't know, we'll never go back from emails or texts. I think they're here to stay. And in a way, we do edit our emails and texts. We write more quickly and we write less thoughtfully maybe, but at least we change them. We can alter them, whereas handwritten letters, you couldn't. You know, you might cross things out, but mostly we just sent what we wrote. We didn't write drafts of letters. So emails can be another way of developing a writing style. And even texts on phones to be very precise, very concise on your text. So it's just another another tool sort of to uh, get maybe into writing in a way. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's quite fascinating to hear that maybe that was something that led you to writing. So uh, I completely jumped on these parts, but can you tell me a bit more about your background and how did you become a writer? Well, I was a late bloomer with writing, like I'm a late bloomer with everything. And I was in my, I guess, mid to late 30s and I had three children and then I had a fourth. I got pregnant for the fourth time and I joined a writer's group at the same time a local writers group where we met every other week and we met for eight whole years. And with them, I, I completely developed my discipline, knowing that I had an audience of these people that I really respected. One of whom I eventually married, he's downstairs. <clears throat> and they were, they were critical. So when they judged me harshly and they didn't like a story, I was crushed. I think, oh no, I'll never be a writer. But it made me work harder. I think that's what I really needed. And when I was, how old was I? I think when I was 45, it was 2000 when my first book was published. I did have good luck in getting things published. And in the group, um, all of us ended up being published and having books published. We were, we pushed each other hard. And when we, when we finally were established, the group stopped meeting because its its purpose was done, but we be, we stayed friends, obviously. So that's kind of the beginning of it. Although I think writing diaries when I was a kid may have been the real beginning. Writing a diary from about age seven or eight, and talking to diary like diary was an actual person, and just sort of telling them the truth, not the thing that I was telling anybody else. And then, yeah, then letter writing. None of that led to writing fiction, though, until I was a housewife with kids at home thinking, my mind's going to mush. I need to do something else. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, well, you moved, you said you moved to Scotland. Um, was it in the 80s, right? Like, did you, did you settle in the Highlands back then? Or how, how, what, what made you decide to come to Scotland and stay yeah. here? Yeah, I often wonder that myself. <laughs> um, it, it actually began when I was about 17 or 18 and I came over here that first time. It's in the book, Wah. So I kind of fell in love with Britain then, Scotland, Ireland, and England. And I was so infatuated, I wanted to come back. And I came back and I got a boyfriend that I lived with in London for a few years. And then, and then I met another boy and eventually I married one of those boys and had the children. So once... I mean, marriage and motherhood kind of put the brakes on my moving. So I stayed. I wouldn't say it was the plan to, to settle outside of California. It just sort of happened. But it feels like a, a lucky accident because it turns out Scotland's one of the best places on earth to be with climate change and politically and financially. And so... So I, like, I got lucky. Yeah, totally understand the feeling. Um, can I also ask you, I'm wondering, because you said that you're quite a late bloomer in terms of writing, how being in Scotland has influenced your writing? I think I have a theory that cold weather is good for writing, that it not only um, means that being outside is not an option for a lot of the year. And I'm, I'm a very active person. I like to hike and things. But when the weather is miserable, I'm inside. Not only that, the kind of the national cultural um, personality, really, of, of being indirect 
and subtle and suppressing things, I think, can result in sublimation. So if you're not actually saying what you mean all the time, you might end up writing it or playing music or painting. I think you can be more creative in a northern country. In other words, in California, where the weather's quite moderate, and maybe Italy too, where you're from, <clears throat> it's um, there's no edginess. There's no... Um, it's not as energetic in a way. Cold weather is energetic weather. Warm, pleasant weather makes you lazy. You just want to, I don't know, read a novel and sit under a tree. But if it's wild wind outside and horizontal rain, I think it's it's inspiring. It makes you want to huddle inside and, and make something. That's my theory about um, Scotland's influence on my writing. I don't think I'd be a writer if I was living in California. Yeah, no. What do, do you know? Do you have an idea of where you think you might be if you were in California? Would uh, were there any other paths, like sliding doors, that you would have liked to explore in a way? Yeah. Uh, let me think. I didn't have any ambitions, so it's hard for me to think. I possibly would have been a teacher eventually because I enjoy teaching English type classes. Um, or, oh, who knows? Who knows? I wouldn't have, have, wouldn't have such a nice lifestyle there. It's a very, very expensive place to live. And, um, yeah, and I'm, we were having a chat earlier about identity. So, uh, what's your identity as a, again, what's your identity now in, in between California and Scotland? Can you tell me a bit more about it? Yeah. <clears throat> I am kind of fascinated by our identities and how we view ourselves and at what stage in our lives does our personality gel and we become who we're going to stay our lives. Um, I know that there are some people who come to foreign countries and totally adapt that country and become a native of that country. They sound like a native, they feel like a native, and they totally are. And I'm not one of those people. I think I, I remained who I've always been. I think California made me, and I am a Californian who loves Scotland and who, who live in Scotland forever, probably. I'll never be Scottish. I'll never feel Scottish. I'll never completely understand Scottishness, not in the way I understand Californian. But in a way, I, I did um, some research about expat writers in general, and there's a lot of expat writers Sometimes I think you write better about the place you left behind than you would if you were still in it. You can see it more objectively. And you're also fueled by a kind of homesickness sometimes, a kind of chronic nostalgia for where you grew up, which doesn't mean you want to go live there again, but it does inform how you write and think. And also writing about Scotland perhaps I can see it a tiny bit more objectively than a Scottish person because I'm on the outside. I notice things they might not notice. Um, yeah. So that's my, my identity is Californian living in Scotland and actually probably mid Atlantic. I don't, I'm not totally either anymore. It's quite difficult when you spend so much time on one side as well, I imagine. So, uh, I think it's really interesting what you were saying about identity and writers that um, uh, have a different look both on, like expert writers that have a different look both on their hometown, their home 
land and the new place where they are, I think is really fascinating. I'm wondering if you have any inspiration in terms of uh, writing. Um, do you have a, an author or a writer that uh, you're particularly inspired from? I think Carson McCullers, the American Southern writer, is my um, sort of go-to. I love writing, reading her stuff. Ann Tyler, a Baltimore writer, never fails to, to affect me. I love her books. Currently, Elizabeth Strout, I think, is my favorite. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's another American writer. Um, in Scotland, I, I love um, Andrew Gregg's books and Michelle Faber's books. Um, oh, I know I love lots of books, but I think Ann Tyler, Elizabeth Strout, and Carson McCullers are my main inspirations. I'm trying to do what all of them did, what all of them succeeded at so well. Fantastic. And what's on your bookshelf just now? What are you reading? I am reading a book called The Idiot by a Turkish writer called Elif Bat Batuman. I'm not saying it right, but have you heard of it? Uh, I've not. I was, I was thinking, oh, that's Dostoevsky. No, it's not. <laughs> well, I think it's an intentional play on his title, it's it's a very good book. It's fiction. Um, it's just a young woman, maybe 20, 20 years old, a first-person narrative of what it's like to be 20 years old in Boston in um, contemporary times. You know, it doesn't matter what you write about it. If you're thinking properly and writing well, it's just interesting, isn't it? Because there's no real plot to this book but I am intrigued by it and I'm, I think she's good. Absolutely. Um, no, and I'm wondering if you have any uh, sort of, um, I'd say ritual to get to in the mood for writing at all. Um, <clears throat> I usually write in the mornings and I just wear my baggy old robe and I have coffee before breakfast. And that's, I guess that's as far as the ritual goes really. I try, I trick myself and say, I can't have a shower and get dressed until I've done my writing. And do you have a favorite place where to read? I guess in bed. I love to read in bed. I go to bed really early just to read. <laughs> and I write anywhere. I mean, it, I like to write at my desk. That's the easiest. But I take my laptop on trains and anywhere I'm going to have some free time, I can write it turns out I can write anywhere and I don't actually need to be in the right mood. I increasingly, as I get older, I feel it's um, a, a sense of urgency to finish my books <clears throat> because, well, because life is finite. And I think in a way I've always known that when I was writing and that's what compels me to, to finish things. I think that's really good, especially when there's a writer's block or something instead of having like a... a yes. Which is really... I do get... It's true. I don't get blocks, but I do go through phases where I feel I'm not talented and I feel a bit flat. And then I just go through the motions. I just keep doing it. And, and I think, why am I doing it? And then I just... I keep doing it anyway. And then one day the good feeling comes back. Exactly. Keep keep on going, and, and that's really good. Um, and yeah, I'm wondering if you're working on anything just now. 
I am. And it's a book about evolution, but it's fiction. And I've had to do some, quite a lot of reading and research, nothing too heavy, but um, so it's a, I'm doing a fictional family tree in which I'm tracing my family line back to the first one celled life form and all the various life forms that came before Homo sapiens that are our direct ancestors. I never knew any of these things. Like we used to be shrews. We used to be worms. At one stage, we were all one cell big. We were part of this first life form. And each chapter is a narrative following one of these life forms. It's kind of fun. It's very silly. <laughs> it sounds really interesting, though, and uh, sounds like a really interesting project to work on in terms of research and also, uh, yeah, see mm -hmm. where it goes. Um, so yeah. keep us in the loop and let us know when it's out. We'll keep an eye on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thank you so, so much for being our guest today. It's been really lovely to speak to you. And yeah, everyone go have a read at Wah. It's uh, really, really a page turner, I think. It's uh, one of those books that really keeps you there. And it's, um, it's good for reflection and good mood. Thank you so much. It's lovely to talk to you. And that's a wrap. I hope you had a wonderful time sitting down with Cynthia. I absolutely had. Uh, we're looking forward to hear more about her projects. And as soon as we do, we'll let you know. Just follow our channels. If you like the show today, please share it with your friend. Or if you want to let us know about a book that just drove you mad, that you're so passionate about, please do get in touch. We have a SpeakPipe link in the show notes, so please click on the link, leave us a voice message and you can feature in one of our next episodes. If you want to get in touch, please drop us an email at northernbibliosphere.pod at gmail.com. We've got some very, very interesting episodes coming our way and are going to be slightly different from the usual, so keep tuned and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bye!